And as you're being seated, turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We'll spend a larger part of our time this morning there in Romans 1, beginning in verse 16. Our focus will be on especially three verses, 16 through 18, as we continue our series on Back to the Basics, especially regarding the church. And this week we want to talk about the church's legacy of gospel boldness, its courage through the ages, and our part in carrying on that legacy. So again, we're in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. And here Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God nor give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature, rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God. Insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. The heavy text But it begins with a bold statement that we're going to dig in today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his blessing on the study of his word. Gracious Father, as we read that text, we see so much of our culture 
And sadly, we may see so much of ourselves. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will illuminate our eyes and our spiritual understanding that we might see the truth here today. That your Holy Spirit might move in us to give us gospel confidence in our, in our, in our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the power of salvation, the power of, of sanctification, and even a confidence that you will deal with sin. And God, we come to you and we ask that you would move in your people, the church. That God, we would be bold in living for Jesus. That we would be bold in proclaiming Jesus in a culture that desperately is running from Jesus. And Lord God, may you be glorified and and lifted up in this place that your good work might be done in the hearts and minds and lives of each of us today and in our community to which you have sent us as salt and light as your church. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. After reading that, you hear that first phrase that Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And this morning you've read the title and you've heard me talk about already that we're going to talk about gospel boldness, gospel courage. And I would dare say that to hear that is a little bit of, oh, oh goodness, we're going to go there again, just badgering me to go out and share the gospel. Certainly that should be fruit of what we're going to talk about this morning. But what I want to talk about to a group of people who bring with them a whole lot of stuff this morning, is the idea that we can have a gospel confidence in God himself. And having a gospel confidence, we can stand in gospel boldness in a day and time in which it's very difficult and discouraging and depressing and frustrating to try to stand. Matter of fact, this morning, I know in this place, we've got people with all kinds of struggles that this is probably the last thing they thought we'd be talking about this morning. You're struggling with health issues. You're struggling with family issues, financial issues. You're struggling with sins, besetting sins that you, you every day stand to get up and face and struggle through. You are overwhelmed by the world around you. And you just bring all that right here. And to... Think that you're going to be right there with Paul, right when I start off in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's going to take a little time for you to get there. But I pray that through the word of God and the example of the saints through the century, you will leave this morning encouraged that you will have a sense of gospel confidence, gospel boldness, and I'd say gospel courage to go out from this place and stand and be the light and be the salt that Christ called us to be in this world that he has placed us in. And so with that idea, I want to begin to think about what this passage before us and others will help us Grasp onto that gospel confidence. You see, the Christian church has a legacy. We have a legacy of gospel boldness demonstrated in great courage through the centuries. 
I mean, we can go back to Acts chapter 4, and I encourage you there, if you have a copy of the Scriptures, or if you want to get one from the pew or chair in front of you, or go on your phone, you can follow along. But but there is a, a really great passage clear back in the book of Acts. And if you know anything about Acts, that's where the church started. So our gospel courage, our gospel boldness goes clear back there, and we could even say, in a sense, before... But in Acts chapter 4, we're going to see this boldness. Boldness refers to a willingness to take risk and be assertive in situations that others might find intimidating or uncertain. So listen to the gospel boldness of the, of John and Peter in Acts chapter 4, 13 through 31. They've just, they've just stood up and proclaimed that in Jesus Christ, in His name and only in His name, can anyone be saved. And in verse 13, the chief priest saw something in them. Rob, by the way, there's the rain, brother. Amen. Now when they, verse 13, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. Any uneducated, common men in here? (laughs) Hey, join the crowd. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. In order to try to impede the progress of these men, these chief priests and, and elders, these leaders in the church, called on them, it says, called on them and charged them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But in verse 19, Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of, of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go. And we see in verse 23, when they were released, what did they do? They went back to be with their friends. And what did their friends do? Well, their friends, they gave them the report and their friends prayed. And what did they pray? In verse 29, it record, records their request and it says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. In verse 31, it says that they got an answer to their prayer. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You see, the Holy Spirit agreed with them. And said, yes, boldness is what you need. Boldness to do what? Not just to go and make a statement, but a boldness to proclaim the Word of God. What's interesting is the book of Acts ends in a similar fashion. We find Paul in a Roman jail there. And here's what it said in Acts 28, verses 30 and 31. Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, how? With all boldness and without hindrance. A courageous brother sitting in jail. Just everybody would come to him. He's a one-trick pony. I'm going to teach you the Word of God. I'm going to proclaim the Word of God. A couple hundred years later, in, in about 308 A.D., The great persecution began in Rome when the emperor Diocletian published these edicts that that laid out a number of of things to try to destroy the church. 
Christians holding public office were to be put out of office. All accusations against Christians were to be welcomed and received. Christians were to be tortured for their faith. Scriptures were to be confiscated and immediately burned. A Christian's civil rights were to be forcefully denied. And leaders of churches were to be arrested and sacrificed to the idols. We're not there yet. But during this time, there was a young writer by the name of Eusebius, who later became known as the father of church history. And Eusebius was especially impacted by the life of Pamphilus. Matter of fact, his, the, the middle name that you'll often see is Eusebius Pamphilus. He took that because of this man who stood and was arrested in 308 and executed in 309. And during that time, Eusebius wrote this. He said, we saw, he and Pamphilus, we saw with our very eyes the houses of prayer cast down to their foundations and the inspired and sacred scriptures committed to the flames. And sadly, the pastors of the churches, some shamefully hiding themselves here and there. Pamphilus, his friend, was executed that next year in 309, but it didn't deter Eusebius from continuing to document these atrocities against the church. And because of his record, he was told that you must stop, and he wouldn't stop. And amazingly, God preserved him, and he was not, he was not executed as many thought he would be. And through his record, his bold, courageous stand, the life and death of a legacy of Christian leaders reminds us that we stand in a long line, a long line of Christian gospel boldness. The history isn't done yet. And in 1517, you know the story, Martin Luther posted a protest on the wall of the church door in Wittenberg, Germany in which he documented again the excesses and he would say crimes against God. And because of that, he was immediately branded a heretic and his execution seemed imminent. In 1521, he stood before the deity of Worms and was ordered to recant and all would be forgiven. And we know he did. Oh no. Our brother was bold. Our brother was courageous and he stood before them. And now his courageous response is famous. When he said to them, my conscience is captive to the word of God. Thus, I cannot and will not recant. Because acting against one's conscience is neither safe nor sound. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. You see, this is an important reminder for us today. It's important that we see that we are not alone, that we don't stand alone, that through the ages, since the foundation of the church, the Holy Spirit has empowered men and women of God to stand firm, to stand courageously and boldly for the gospel. People like you and me, people like you and me, that we don't see ourselves as much. What can we do? We can stand where we are boldly, and courageously. You don't have to be Martin Luther. You don't have to be Eusebius. You don't have to be Pamphilus. You don't have to be Paul or Peter or John. You're called to be you and to stand and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, we live in a day in which the world tells us that our faith does not belong 
in the public arena. In fact, our ideas are dangerous. They're bigoted. They're inappropriate for our modern culture. We are told to progress, adapt, and get in line with this progressive thought. After all, right, we're told there's theologians and pastors and churches that are getting in line. They agree with us. And to that we say, we will not shrink back. We will not retreat. We will stand. For we can do no other. Our every hope and confidence firmly planted on the Word of God. Friends, if you're not there yet, my prayer for you today is that we will encourage you with gospel confidence. We are surrounded, but we are not defeated. We stand in the victory which Christ assures us of, and because of that, we can be confident. Young people, you can be confident. Each of us can be confident, as the author of Hebrews says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their soul. Hebrews 10.39 The church's legacy of the gospel boldness, you see, is rooted in a firm confidence in the power of the gospel. It's not just that we believe it, it's that we are confident in the gospel's power to accomplish the work it sets out to do. Paul says it this way again in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, shame speaks of feelings of, of related to failure and disgrace and embarrassment and rejection and ridicule and dishonor. And Paul felt none of that. Paul was like, why would I be that? We're talking about the gospel of God. We're talking about the gospel of the one who was raised from the dead. We're talking about the gospel that took Paul, who is breathing out murderers against Christians, and stopped him on the road to Damascus and turned him 180 and brought him alive that he could see the reality of who God was and made him one of, arguably the greatest proponent of the church in history. Paul is like, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He saw the impact of the gospel. He knew the importance of the gospel. So why did Paul affirm this boldness for the gospel? He was confident in three truths that we're going to look at this morning in verses 16, 17, and 18. First of all, Paul was confident in the saving power of the gospel, which is eternally effectual for all who believe. The power and effectiveness of the church is not bound up, I hate to tell us this, in a beautiful air-conditioned room with great sound acoustics, incredible worship team, bright smiling people. It's not caught up in a style of dress, a gifted delivery. It's not caught up in amazing videos, a slick and creative and marketing campaign. It is the power of the gospel which saves. It is the power of the gospel which changes lives through the clear proclamation of the word of God and the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. So it would be important, I think, before we go any further, is to define what is the gospel. Because there are many people who have an idea of what the gospel is. Well, the gospel is the solution to man's greatest problem. 
And that is the problem of sin. Because of sin, and all have sinned, every person who has, has, was created in the reflection of God or the image of God and for relationship with God is broken off from relationship with God. They are living according to their will and not His will. See, the consequences of that sin, of living for our will and not God's, bears a penalty for which mankind has no solution and no answer, except to take the consequences of eternal life in hell apart from God. But here comes the gospel. Here comes the good news. The penalty has been paid through Christ's death on the cross. It's available, as he says, to all who believe, whether Jew or Greek. On top of that, because of Christ's perfect, sinless life. The good news is this, that God applies His righteousness to the account of everyone who believes. So you can not only be forgiven, but through Christ you can be in perfect standing with the holy creator of the universe. That's the good news. And it's available to all who believe. No matter how many times you've heard it, whether it's one or you've been in this church your whole life, it's available to all. It's available no matter what. What is the effect of the gospel? The effect of the gospel, this power of the gospel, does so much, and we're only going to hit just a few things very quickly to sort of give a little bit of, of a picture of what the gospel does. The gospel, through the gospel, the imprisoned are brought near to God set free and forgiven. Instead of being cast off and imprisoned, they are released and brought near. Colossians 1.13 says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. But we're not only set free and forgiven, the enemies of God are treated as though they have done no wrong. Against God. Colossians 1 21 and 2 says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, it's not a question of whether we did them or not, we did them. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you, get this, I'll put it in the Schultz paraphrase, as though you had not done those evil deeds. He is going to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. That's the power of the gospel. But wait, there's more. Sin's consequences, death, has been canceled. The sin debt canceled. Sin's shame has been canceled. Colossians 2.13 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive with Him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt. That's one cancel culture I can get behind. Canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. What were those demands? It was that we pay the penalty. That the penalty be paid. And the beautiful thing was, penalty was paid fully in Christ. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, triumphing, triumphing (laughs) some days over them in him. You see, in him, we have victory over all of that. No more shame, 
No more sin consequences. No more debt. Sin shame is forever removed. And you know, some of us need to hear that today. Because we are still wallowing in the shame of our sin. That, just as much as the penalty, that shame was nailed to the cross. He took on Him that shame. Why would you allow Him to take on the shame? He knew what your sin was going to be. He knew how awful and heinous and awful that sin is. He knew the penalty for it. He even knows the consequences of that in your family. He knows that. But He took that shame. He took your reproach, Scripture tells us. And you don't have to bear that anymore. It's not like you take it flippantly like, oh, I don't care if I did that. No, you can rejoice in the fact that He took it for you. And you can live in relief from it. Knowing that, brother and sister, you don't have to live in that shame anymore. He doesn't see you in that. God looks at you and He sees that you're not only forgiven, but that you're clothed in the perfect, glorious righteousness of Jesus Christ. And there's no shame in that. So let's not re-crucify Christ by saying, well, how am I going to deal with my shame? I tell you what you do with it. You say, Lord, that, that's yours. And I thank you for taking that on because I deserve that shame. And you rest in it. You delight in it. That's the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel carries all out. And the beautiful thing is, while we live in the midst of the consequences of sin, and all you have to do is just spend some time here with us today, and you'll know that all of us are dealing with consequences of sin all around us. In our marriages, in our families, in our, in our, in our minds, in our lives around us. There's, there's a lot of heavy-hearted people today. Stand in the lobby for five minutes and you'll see people walking in these doors. And we welcome that because we all carry something. But one day, even those consequences will be forever gone. Those consequences will be gone because the salvation power is eternal and completely effectual. Now that's not a word we use a lot. Okay, But the idea of effectual is, is that something is going to accomplish the thing it set out to do. And what is the thing? It is the gospel. What is it that it set out to do? It is to save you completely and eternally. It is effectual. And that's not just up to the point of eternity. That is through eternity. And it is in that day that the consequences of sin will be forever gone. Jesus put it this way in terms of your confidence in that. And that is this, verse 27 of John 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. You get that? You don't earn it. You can't get it and lose it. I give it. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish funny this sticks in my mind i'm sorry but on a mission trip to uh, the south part of brazil years ago we memorized john 3:16 and the only two words i remember from all of that was this word não pereça it's portuguese for not perish and it was we were trained to to emphasize that so i i hear that and i think will not perish they will never perish 
and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me. Get this. The Father gives the sheep to Him, and He gives us eternal life. So there's no taking back the gift. Okay? Given to Christ, given to us, and in His hand, but wait, there's more. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. You see, John Piper, I love how he puts this, the assurance of the believer is not that God will save him even if he stops believing, but that God will keep him believing. God will sustain you in the faith. He will make your hope firm and stable to the end. He will cause you to persevere. Because our salvation rests not in our effort, in our strength, but in the power and authority of the one who gives eternal life. So you can rest assured, friend, if you are struggling with assurance of salvation, you look not to your works, you look not to your attendance, your church, your family, you look to the one in whom you are trusting. And if he is trustworthy, then you are safe. You are, you can be confident and you can be bold and say, I, here I stand. I stand in Christ and I am confident, not because of me, because if I was, if I had to worry about me, then I'd say I'm not so confident, but I'm confident in his work, his work, that not only can he save me, but that he can keep me and that he will keep me forever. Have you experienced the saving power of God? Do you know that confidence that you can have in Jesus Christ? It's not only a saving power. Paul goes next to the fact that it's a sanctifying power. It's a life-transforming power. Romans 1.17, he says, For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This word revealed here is translated from the Greek word that, that reads apocalyptetai, which is similar to the English word apocalypse. They've come from the same Latin root. And some might think in terms of the book of Revelations, and you would be very correct. Because there in verse 1 of Revelation, it says the revelation, that same, same root word, of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean to... That apocalypse. Well, it's the revealing. We think of apocalypse and we think, oh, that's destruction, right? An apocalyptic movie. It's going to be, everything's going to blow up and it's the end of the world. Okay? That's not what that actually means at all. It actually means to pull back the covers, to reveal. Wow, that's going to change how you use that word, isn't it? And so the righteousness of God is revealed how it's re- the righteousness of God is of revealed is from faith for faith. What is being said here is that the transforming power of the gospel is revealed in the lives of those who live by faith. This is where, in part, the legacy of boldness and courage for the gospel is encouraging to us. Because those who are saved by faith live by faith and are examples of faith for us. The idea of faith for faith is this idea that it begins and ends with faith. Our lives, our Christian lives, don't just begin with faith and we get saved and, well, there, I, you know, I, 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 by faith trusted Jesus as my Savior. Good, that, now you're, 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 you're off to a good start. 
But it doesn't stop there. And this is where many churches are filled with people who have expressed a faith. They've been run through the waters of the baptism and they attend every week. And yet there is no evidence of ongoing faith in their lives apart from showing up. And that's great to show up. We love having you here. But it's not about having you here. It is about you living day by day in faith, by faith in the Son of God. And as you do that, as you live by faith, you are pulling back the covers on the righteousness of God. You're showing more and more as you reflect God's righteousness. His promises that you are living by then reflect to the world that, oh, why do you do that? I'm living by the promises of God. I'm living by faith in the Son of God. I'm living in hope of Jesus Christ. And that is pulling back the covers on His righteousness that is being shown through you. And let me say, we are not going to give a full dive into these, this passage today. So if you're, you're stressing about the fact that here we are at 1128 and, and we've got a whole lot more verses to do, uh, it's okay. We're not even going full deep in these verses. We don't have time for that. It would take a month of Sundays just to go through these verses at, at the full. But, but as we think in terms of gospel boldness, we can be confident that not only does the power of the gospel save, but the power of the gospel sanctifies. That it is revealed as people are transformed. Right? Our life begins and ends with faith. You see, God... Through his righteousness of Jesus Christ, he, as we mentioned, you have a a standing with God. You now, before you were separated by sin. If If you are not a believer, you still are separated by sin. You have no access, if you will, to the benefits and blessings of the relationship with God. But if you have, by faith, trusted in Christ your Savior, you're forgiven, okay, the, those old debts are canceled, and you now have the righteousness of God, so you can be up close and personal with God. He is near to you, okay? And because He is near to you, He, is, he and all of His benefits are accessible to you. And that is how then this transformation work happens. Because now you have access... To the power of God, you understand, you, you're growing in your understanding of the Word of God. The natural man does not understand the things of God because now you're alive in Christ, you can understand them, and now you're applying them. And that work of transformation is happening because, first of all, His righteousness, which got it all started, and now because of the righteousness which is being revealed that He is committed to. How committed is He to it? He's committed, so committed, that He sent His Holy Spirit to instruct us, to convict us for sin and righteousness, to comfort us, to strengthen us, right? That's the work that He is committed to, is this work of our transformation. And it's happening little by little. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and I'm sorry we don't have it on the slide, but it says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, In other words, we're in His presence in that sense. We're beholding Him as we see Him through, revealed through His Word. We're beholding Him. We are being transformed into the same image, the image of Christ, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is Spirit. We go from glorifying ourselves, making much of 
ourselves, making much of our desires and our will to glorifying God's desires. God's will, which bring life. We are called to die to self. And through His Spirit, we can die to self. We crucify the flesh, and yet we live. Here's what Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That would not be possible if it weren't for the saving work. But because it is possible because of the saving work, now it's at work in you sanctifying you. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. From faith for faith, Romans 1.17, right? I live, begins and ends with faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We live by faith in Christ, knowing that his, his will and his promises are good. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Right? Why is it so important that the church believe this. It is important that the church must think and act in gospel boldness, believing that the power of the gospel is good, that is pleasing, that it is what is best, it is perfect, right? We, we must believe that the power of God not only can save anyone, but it can transform anyone from anywhere, right? Other people that you struggle with believing that true of? That they could be saved? That not only could they be saved, but they could be transformed? Are there people that you just treat like garbage? Or you ignore? Or you're like, there's no hope for them. Why even? I can't even talk to them. The gospel says, for all who believe. Jew first and also to the Greek. It does not matter. Those were two parties that did not get along, right? And yet, the gospel can save. The church must believe that Christ is and forever will be better than what sin offers. And we boldly, courageously move forward in faith. And we boldly proclaim this good news. The power that raised Jesus from the grave, we read in Ephesians 1, can transform anyone who by trust who trust in the Word of God. In fact, it will fully complete that work. Philippians 1, 6 says, and I'm confident of this very thing, that, that I'm sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. We can have gospel boldness with anyone, anywhere, because we believe that the gospel can save anyone, and that one, anyone who is saved by the gospel will be sanctified. Not just can be, but will be sanctified by the gospel. And the question I would have is this, who are the anyones that we are called to? That we need to boldly, and, and back up a bit, who is it that we need to be confident in the gospel for, and boldly stand and say, man, they, they, they desperately need the gospel. They need me to stand on the gospel. They need me to be sanctified by the gospel. But they need to also be saved and sanctified. But there's another reason. There's a third reason for which Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And this one is not so enjoyable. 
Yes, he's confident that the gospel can save anyone who will believe. It will save anyone who believes. Jew first and Greek. But he's also convinced that, by, that, that it's going to transform. It's going to carry out this transforming work. And that the righteous will live by faith. But then comes a warning. Verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You see, Paul was convinced. He was confident. He was sure that the sovereign power of the gospel is revealed through, through God's wrath against ungodliness and unrighteousness. That isn't the message we like to hear preached in our day, is it? I should say, in general. We're not real big on that revelation. That's just what it is. Because the same word revealed that we read before when it talks about Christ's righteousness is revealed. In other words, it's there. It's revealed through His people. God's wrath is revealed. And folks, this isn't a distant thing. This is not just in the day that, it, that Jesus returns that His wrath is revealed. Listen to it. As, or look at it as we look through the rest of this chapter. It is being revealed. His wrath is not just what occurs on the final day of judgment. His wrath is what happens when He gives us over to our sin and says, here, have more of that. Think more that way. Because what is the, the beautiful glory of His righteousness revealed when it's taken as transforming us the other way? Transforming us to look more like Him. His wrath is saying, no, if that's what you want, have more. Friends, that's a terrifying thing. A terrifying thing to think upon as we think of, of, of those words and we think of that spiral that occurs through the rest of this chapter. There's two things that, that I would hope I nor anyone I love would ever have to hear. One is in Matthew 7 where it says, Depart from me, I never knew you. And the other is this, that I, that I give them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. Three times in this passage. In verse 24, he gave them over to sexual promiscuity. He gave them over to perversion. He gave, gave them over to corrupted minds. Complete lack of judgment and social approval of rebellion against God. The very presence of these things. Their presence among us, in our lives or in our society, their growing presence is a demonstration. It is a revealing of God's wrath. It's not a future judgment alone. These are all worship and don't be confused by it because it all begins with a rejection of worshiping God and instead, in its place, worshiping the creation. Worshiping what is around us. And it all begins there. I reject God. I refuse to acknowledge God as God. I refuse to give Him thanks for what He's given me. I refuse to live in light of His will and His purposes. And God says, give Him over. I get, go, go eat some of that. Go have some of that sexual promiscuity. Go, go eat some of that. Have some more. That's, the world thinks, oh, wow, that's great. 
more, give me more. And God says, you're, you're eating your own destruction. There's a way that seems right in demand, but the end thereof is destruction. People in societies are thinking that they're getting away with stuff. They, if God really cared, he'd do something about this. No. As we read in Second Peter, his, don't confuse his patience as being uncaring or unwilling to deal with it. It is his kindness in a sense that it allowed us to have time to repent, but in his kindness, mankind is bringing judgment upon themselves. You are not winning. You are not getting away with anything. Your sins will find you out. And that deepening dive into that sin is judgment itself as we find all the relational, physical, mental, financial, spiritual tolls that is taking on individuals and on whole societies, on our nation. It is destroying a nation. We can see it in Rome of the past. We've seen it in Sodom and Gomorrah. And we see it in our own nation as we see people who just put all of God, anything, any mention of God aside. And if we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, how should we respond to this confidence that God's wrath is being revealed against sin? The same way we would respond as we think in terms of the power of the gospel to save, the power of the gospel to sanctify, we also respond with a hope, a confidence in the gospel. While churches and Christians are on the run from the gospel, when society's greatest need is the church to run with the gospel, we're in a dangerous time. I'm told, and I'm sure there's someone here that knows a whole lot more about this, a couple of someones, that in some house fires, children will sometimes hide, whether from guilt of maybe they were playing with fire or just fear, right? Fear, they, they know something bad's happening and they're trying to get away. They see a fire and they go hide, hide in the closet from sheer terror, while courageous fire personnel go into that burning structure to locate and extract the children no matter their, the child's protest or fear. Folks, that's what we're called to. We have a world that's burning to the ground and is running and thinking that they are hiding from God. And we're called to courageously and boldly go. Go where? Go on to Moonlight Bay Circle. Go into North Harbor. Go into Lapel. Go into Cicero. Go into your place of employment and to live boldly and courageously as a saved believer being sanctified by God, confident of this thing, that if someone does not receive the gospel, and if the salt and light that God called us to be does not come in contact with the culture, that surely this culture will continue the decline that it is in. See, it is God's, God's purposes. He, we, whether we understand it fully or not, He took a bunch of people like you and me, saved us, He calls us the salt, salt of the earth, the light of the world, and sends us out to have a, a purifying effect. And if we do not, if we don't set out to change the culture, but if we do not have contact with the culture, the effects of the gospel will not be realized in the culture. And that's, I know we can get into, Steve, let's talk about the sovereignty of God. 
um, for a minute. Folks, were we told to go or were we not? Do we bear a responsibility to go or do we not? Is God going to save people apart from the use of his people? That's not his plan. And so our call is to go. Pastor Harry Reeder, who recently went home to be with the Lord, a dear brother in Christ, says, said this, If the church does not stay on mission, if it hides its light, loses its saltiness, then in- inevitably the culture will spiral. So what should we seek? What should we do? How should we stand firm? First of all, there is, I'm sure, even in your own mind today, I know the Holy Spirit doesn't depend on me to make application of His Word in your heart. Because some of you have already been thinking through some of the things that, that you need to be more firm, more confident in the Gospel and its work. You need to stand, walk by faith in the Gospel more boldly. And you need to care more deeply for the lost. But Romans 10 gives us a reminder. Romans 10, 13, or, yeah, 13 and following, it says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's the gospel. There's the gospel. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You see, the church has been called to be proclaimers. When I, when I said that word preach, a whole bunch of people thought, I don't preach. You should. You should. You should proclaim the truth. That's what that word means. How will, they, how, will they, how will they hear unless someone proclaims? And how will we proclaim unless we are confident in the gospel? Friend, are you confident in the gospel of God? It is the power of salvation for all who will believe. It is the work that God does to trans- save and sanctify. And friend, It is a desperate world that so needs us to stand and live boldly and proclaim boldly. Not like fools, not being idiots, but to clearly, boldly tell the truth. Friend, are you a believer? Has your life, have you been brought to life through the gospel? If you are, then you'll be transformed by the gospel and you know the power of the gospel. Why would we withhold it? Why would we not stand firm upon it? Many reasons. Many things keep us back. I don't want to lose a friend. That person, you know, my friend at Lowe's that we saw yesterday, he likes me right now. I'm not so sure how much you'd like me if we had that conversation. Am I stacking up friends? Or am I concerned and loving for my friends? Do, am I losing my job? Folks, we're not talking about running in and, and pulling up a pulpit and, you know, you know, 
it is, but can my life be a living witness and can I take opportunity? And there are opportunities. We just are afraid to take them. To have conversations. There are people who are desperate and hurting. Many of you know that recently, about three months ago, I, the, with the elders' encouragement, I began working as a part-time chaplain for Custom Concrete. And in that time, it has been so good. It's been truly a delight because while it's, run, it's, a, it's a Christian-run organization, it is an organization that does concrete and it's just people, Right? And in that time, I have had the, the pleasure of sitting alongside men and women who are bearing unbelievable difficult burdens. Most of them don't know Jesus. And friends, that has impassioned me anew. Because those people like you and like I ha- could need to know the great joy of being saved and see the great benefits and blessings of being near to God, of knowing his sweet benefits that won't take away the bad problems in their life, but help them have access to the blessings and benefits that we have in Christ to deal with those things. So friends, it's a real thing that the wrath of God is being revealed, that our world is living in the middle of it. Will we be courageous and rush in as God has called us to be and as our legacy says we ought. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Lord, we come to you and we ask for your Holy Spirit to do a work that we can't muster up. That is not the call today to just whip up a passion and an energy or or some kind of will to go. We call upon you, O Spirit, to, to give us boldness. First of all, to be bold enough to repent to confess our sins, for you are faithful and just, forgive us our sins, to trust you, to have confidence in that, and bold to to repent. No matter how long we've been here, no matter how long we might, might have professed Christ, but that we would repent, that our courage would begin there, that we would, that we would boldly live by faith, when everything around us calls us to live by our feelings and emotions. Lord, help us to live by faith in the Son of God. And Lord, help us to boldly proclaim to a world who desperately needs Jesus and the power of the gospel. Lord, may you do a mighty work in our place, in this place today, in order that the goodness of the gospel might be sent forth into a world that is full of darkness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.